Hello and welcome to the Wolf Den Podcast, your home for competitive Digimon TCG discussion and news. I'm your host, Nako, joined by my co-host, Zenitsu. This week, we will be continuing our discussion for the competitive North American BT-10 metagame. We are now available on all podcasting networks, including, but not limited to, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music. Find us at Wolf Den Digimon TCG. Also, we are on YouTube on the YouTube channel of Zenitsu, and we do stream live at zenitsu.twitch.tv. For our viewer question of the week, this week's question is, as Digimon approaches its two-year mark, how do you feel the card game is handling the two-year curse? So to start off with uh, answering that question, uh, the two-year curse, if anyone's unfamiliar with trading card games, usually uh, a lot of card games don't necessarily make it past two years of existence. The one that I worked on, as an example, uh, definitely died within its first year. Um, so two years is already a like proving grounds. And then anything from the two to five years is like the establishment of like trying to solidify yourself in the competitive TCG market space. Uh, I feel like Digimon is handling this uh, actually with what they just announced over in Japan, which is their first dedicated reprint set. Uh, I have my own personal reservations as far as like what they're doing inside of the reprint set. I wish it was just all reprints, uh, but instead they're injecting new cards to kind of force people like me who don't really need the reprints because I already have like a playset of literally every single card, but they're enticing me with these new cards inside of these reprints. And then uh, obviously any card that was errated uh, that's getting reprints will actually have the corrected text. So this is a good opportunity for them to reprint errated cards, having the card text fixed on top of getting uh, older cards that were no longer accessible or not very accessible into the hands of players and revamping the market and uh, revitalizing um, the, how we approach that card in terms of the market space. So overall consensus, you would say, is positive? Um, yeah. I think like the power level and the power dynamic is at a pretty decent point. I don't feel like we're any more powerful or less powerful than we were with BT9. BT9 was kind of like, not really a, a ceiling hitting mark, but it definitely was a, this is the potential of Digimon. And then they've just been kind of riding that potential, um, utilizing different uh, types of mechanics and different play styles. And it creates this really interesting rock, paper, scissors dynamic when they do this type of approach where everyone thinks that one deck is overly dominant, then you have a counter deck, and then you have the decks that counter the counter deck, but lose to the initial base deck. Um, and I think that having the accessibility of cards uh, on top of just where the game currently is puts it in a really interesting dynamic um, where decks come in and out based on the play styles that they want during that time period. So we saw, as an example, BT9 Death X was not a very good card. We weren't a flood-wide heavy format. And well, now that we're entering BT10, where there is a lot of decks that want to flood and go wide, now that card becomes more playable. 
But as we eventually might transition back to a stack-based format, now DeathX's playability goes way down because now his impact is less because there's less decks and less uh, people running into scenarios where DeathX is optimal. So I think the way that I start my answer is um, with an analogy as far as... Um, I think Digimon's doing a pretty good job so far as... Um, obviously the game is getting more powerful as we progress further and is almost unrecognizable from its earlier sets but that's not necessarily a bad thing because like using the analogy of a child or like a person then if you don't see you know a six-year-old for six months they just look you know vastly older as or even a younger child, you know, if you're one year old and you don't see him for six months, they look significantly older than if you look at a 14 year old and a 14 and a half year old or a 20 year old and a 20 and a half year old. And so six months, you know, as something gets older, as something progresses, becomes less of a total span of change. So while there has been a significant change, you can't take a deck from six months ago and play it today you will get absolutely destroyed by even some of the most casual decks that were printed in the most recent set. And yet, that's not a bad thing because it has been such a small length of time comparatively that as we move forward will become hopefully less true and the decks will have fewer... will require fewer individual movements along the power scale to, you know, reinforce sales or redefine new archetypes in interesting ways and therefore you can just have more of a cohesive support and kind of the greatest hits without making something super tier zero and being able to make archetypes viable again or re re-attack something that maybe this you know digivolution line like the um the Akakumon line, and I was one of my favorites from the anime, has basically never been good outside of the EX1, I think. Akaku was, like, saw some very small amount of play at one point, but that whole Digimon line as a concept has basically been just dead. Every time they print it, it's bad. So, there's plenty of room for them to re reassess what that deck is trying to do and to make it successful without just making it broken. Yeah, there's definitely still a lot of room for Digimon to grow, reintroduce decks and mechanics, even when decks don't necessarily get reintroduced, uh, like what we saw with uh, Deep Brigades. Like, just the shift in playstyle can make a deck go from playable to unplayable, and I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. And then they can reintroduce new cards to revitalize it, like you said, to give it more breath. Like... Uh, we've been playing basically the same D Brigade deck since probably BT5 when we got the blocker one. And then it's just been getting a tiny, tiny bit of like unintended support here and there to just like string the deck along. But it's really going to be hitting its drive in um, EX3 when we get a whole brand new plethora suite of D Brigades to really revamp what that deck can do and what that deck wants to do. And I think that's a really good um, growing point for the game. We have all of these base foundation building blocks for a lot of different decks. 
and a lot of different possibilities. And now it's just up to Bandai to start putting things on top of those foundations to be able to, well, have us build cohesive, coherent decks that um, change and fit with uh, however uh, meta that we're going to be entering or exiting. And um, while uh, they have been less of a focus recently, um, with more of the game focusing on archetype than colors, the there still are unused slash underutilized color pairings. So just the entire EX3 Imperial line was was very out there, and I remember when it was initially spoiled um, for when it was to be introduced in Japan, people were talking about the crazy high ceiling of combo plays that the deck has, but even in a best of one in Japan, the deck kind of really didn't do anything, and while it, it's, you know, it's a a failure on the part of trying to create a new try and make a deck in new mechanics like we are we've already had imperial jogress decks but what about a you know purple red imperial jogress instead of a blue green what does that look like and it wasn't very good but that doesn't mean that they should stop trying to do something like that because that's something that i enjoy about having colors in our game and that um if you make them different and unique enough to where they don't just become fodder to break, you know, the quote-unquote better version of, you know, you can't just run blue-green Imperial Jogress and then just add in the purple-red dragon mode or the purple-red fighter mode and just make it work because of its alternate Digivolution text. But um, just being able to reassess something that we have seen before in a new light while still not necessarily just making it objectively better it can do something different entirely yeah and even just uh different ways of bridging the archetypes if they really wanted to they could make like a red blue one and now you have access at red blue and purple all in your imperial deck like there's different ways that they could go about expanding things they don't necessarily need to do bridging but uh, there's definitely still a lot of uh, possibilities and room for them to do various different things. And obviously, there's still just a lot of lore that they have yet to even tap into, um, which I think they're eventually going to start doing. And uh, who knows, maybe they could even come up with their own original Digimon for the Digimon card game, because we don't really have one of those. Uh, usually, each one of their projects, they try to create something new for that specifically. We saw that with Pulsemon and the Vitality Bracelets. We saw that with uh, Rasenmon and the uh, Digimon Arise app game. So maybe we're eventually going to be getting a TCG exclusive Digimon where this is their first appearance. Cardmon. I don't know what it's going to be, man. Well, so... um. Yeah, topic at hand for this episode is just the continuation of going over uh, the BT10 uh, meta and the format and what we expect it to look like from a competitive standpoint. Um, we obviously didn't have enough time to talk about everything last episode. It's There's kind of a lot here, and that's um, probably a good thing, right? Because if we had fewer decks to talk about, it would mean that it would be indicative of a greater issue. But... We do have some decks that we did, we weren't able to talk about last time, 
Um, probably just starting off with the one that I uh, wanted to talk about last, but we just kind of ran out of time, um, which is Minerva Loop. So what are your thoughts on Minerva Loop, Zenitsu, now that you've actually gotten to play into it a little bit? Um, I, one of my, uh, buddies at Locals, he's also on the deck. He's been struggling a little bit harder with playing it, but I think he's been playing, uh, he's been playing not as long as you have. Um, and, uh, he's also playing a wide plethora of different matchups as he's going around and, uh, basically during the tour for uh store championships he hasn't had as much success and he's been relaying his like his hard matchups to me and he says hey i need experience with black or gray and i need experience against grandis those decks just are really really hard for minerva loop to handle and deal with uh but minerva loop is actually pretty decent into cross hearts uh that's a pretty difficult matchup for cross hearts um and I would say it's probably around like maybe a 60-40 in Minerva Loop's favor. Uh, but against decks like Jespawn, against decks like Black War, uh, it's going to do significantly worse just because it's the way it wants to play is more catered to being able to beat Crosshearts. I don't... Definitely I can see Jespawn struggling, though the one thing that I would uh, question is the interaction with... Jessmon plays many Sistermon, so, like, like literally plays them. Like, many on-play effects through various uh, Jessmon-associated uh, mechanics. And Minerva's ability to just... Opponent's turn, whenever they play a Digimon, for any reason, I play a level 4 or lower from my trash for free, is pretty difficult to get over. Obviously, the... Um, the Jessmon itself would just swing over Minerva, you know, doesn't necessarily care too much about the retaliation if it has a wide enough board, but... Also, it has um, uh, Decoy, which would save mm. it from being deleted. That's true, yeah, the Sisters of Decoy. Um, and the Sisters also have blockers, so if you just spam a wide board, and I'm spamming a wide board, you're just not getting through. Uh, and that's kind of what makes uh, War Greymon a pretty hard matchup is because, like, I already have protection from deletion and I have blocker. So if I just get up into my Black War with a good enough stack, I just literally shut you out from doing anything. Mm. Um, yeah, there are definitely harder matchups for Minerva. Um, I didn't expect this deck to be as controversial as it seemingly is. So... Um, you know, I don't follow all of the, the Digimon social medias, uh, you know, I'm not a Facebook boy, I'm pretty much just Reddit, YouTube, um, sometimes, you know, tournament Discord kind of person as far as when I'm reading comments, engaging people's opinions of things as collective, and I've just seen a lot of people basically come out and ask the question, like, is this deck actually just garbage? you know, usually associated with some sort of experience of I played it at my locals and I just got destroyed, or I played into it as my locals and I absolutely destroyed my opponent who was playing it. Something along those lines of 
like people just genuinely questioning if this deck actually has any legs to it i think it does like it definitely fits inside of like the rock paper scissors dynamic that a lot of these metas like to form uh mostly i noticed that these rock paper scissors dynamics form when one deck is like overly abundantly known as the boogeyman um we didn't see it as much in bt9 because bt9 a lot of things was just super high damage out of raising plays and now that we actually have different play styles to actually dip into whether you're hard playing stuff hiding things and raising uh or whatnot like it, it just creates this rock paper scissors dynamic where it's like oh i'm good against this but bad against this but beat this still um, and I think, like, it still has a space inside of that dynamic where it's still a pretty solid deck. Like, if you're playing Cross Hearts, there's a high chance that you're going to have a very hard time against the Minerva Loop deck, and just for that alone means that it's going to have space in the competitive meta, even if it's not that great into some of the other, like, tech or counter deck. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, usually, for these betas, it does kind of rely upon, as you mentioned the which decks can do well into the perceived best deck the perceived like most likely to be played against in an online nine round event and that just too many experiences i've had where i've gone to an event and when blue hybrid was the best deck i played blue hybrid seven rounds out of nine maybe six um or i played into um gabu bond actually every round or i played into metal guru four times and then alpha three times you know what i mean like stuff like that where i could basically you know 90 percent likely to see one deck 50 percent likely to see this other deck and then there's a third deck that if i'm gonna see three decks this is the third deck I'm probably going to see. And you really only have to cater your... Or you can only afford to cater your deck as far as aiming towards what you are reasonably expected to see. And that's where you end up with situations where the decks can do fantastic at an aggregate or fantastic uh, over the course of these long events as long as you don't see certain matchups. You know, unfortunately, but due to the nature of the rock, paper, scissors, stuff like that, where... I'm built to, to beat Cross Hearts as Minerva. Um, it's pretty... It's it's not that favored. It's not a counter deck by any means. Um, but I feel comfortable. I'm not afraid off the gate. Whereas when I was playing D-Reaper, um, I lost round one against uh, Metal Garurumon. And, you know, I was like, okay, I'm already going to start fighting through, scrapping my way through people who already have, like, a loss or two on them. And... Round two was Grandis, and Grandis actually bodies D-Reaper, and it's something that I wasn't afraid to play D-Reaper going into the event, because, well, what is the likelihood that I actually see Grandis? Nobody really plays Grandis. Percentage-wise, like, really, it, it kind of almost overperformed for how little it was actually played. And then I saw it, and I was like, well, this, this is a really bad matchup. I'm probably screwed. I was right. But, so... While there are decks that do very well into Minerva, I think Minerva also, as we've mentioned in the past, suffers from the idea that 
it is an unusually high skill ceiling deck in not so obvious ways because the game digimon as a whole is not very mechanically intense there aren't too many decisions to be made at as a whole there aren't too many game altering decisions um but with a deck like any deck that utilizes a combo and utilizes a specific ordering of events and utilizes using your trash as a resource anytime you just shove all those things together it can be something as simple as throughout zenitsu and i's you know many play testings so far i digivolve draw and i swing and then i trash something and i'm like well i actually already just lost i didn't think it mattered i just threw something away and now i actually needed that and i can't get it back so i lose now but it was nice or you make you know weighted calculated decisions like i have a second minerva in my hand but i really need to see a level five before i can actually use the two minerva sitting in my hand why don't i discard one of them and then potentially seeing i don't need to keep two minervas around you know I, as far as i have a valuable hand space i'm still discarding like uh eismon scattermode isn't that much of a uh, card engine as far as it, it doesn't really add too much to your hand it just filters your hand so i have to discard the cards i can't actively use and i can't you know be very greedy to hold on to two minerva and then as soon as i discard it i draw for turn and it's a cerberus i'm like well now i have one instance of my loop in my hand because i just discarded the second instance of loop so i just i missed a whole loops worth of combo because i just made that decision last turn and I think that level of like card analysis is a very hard skill for a lot of people to pick up and just expect to do well with. It's something you have to really grind out and fine and hone in because uh, as an example, like with Black War Greymon, uh, the deck isn't like that complicated, but there's still just a lot of triggers and ordering of operations that need to go on and you need to have an understanding of in order for you to do well with that deck. My brother isn't necessarily one of my little brothers. He's not necessarily the greatest player in the world. He was okay at Magic, um, and he's not super great at Digimon just because the dynamics of the games are completely different. He's using different levels of thought that are going into his turns. A Magic turn for him is like, I play a land, I swing with my elf, I pass. Like, it's super easy. But with Digimon, it's just like, okay... I could hard play this Agumon, digivolve into this Agumon, digivolve into something else, or do something else, and they're all benefiting you cards and doing various different things, and it's just harder to keep track of and follow, and I think Minerva Loop is definitely one of those decks where it's like, it is sometimes harder to keep track and follow what you should be doing, when you should be doing it, and how you should be doing it. Yeah, it is, and I, I guess, I, I feel like I've prefaced this before, but I am not like a giga brain purple player i have not played the previous iterations of loop decks this is my first play time playing a loop deck um or a purple combo deck in general um outside of uh shout out to <laughs> but rio for his tournament winning uh bt4 uh promo metal gururumon list that i took to an event and i think i got top 32 but um so not since then have i played a purple combo deck 
but um, just the the genuine level of uh, decisions to be made and how inconsequential they feel in the moment and how truly impactful they can potentially be. Um, so my current list at the moment uses a Nidhogg. You know, obviously you're not you're not trying to digivolve into the Nidhogg basically ever. Um, absolute worst case scenario is you're digivolving into it for some reason for its effect, but you're traditionally you're you're saving it and you're discarding it for the the one memory when needed. But this deck doesn't really like shit memory at least like frequent instances of small memory. It's outside of the loop. You have whatever memory you start with. It's pretty much it. So, do I need that memory now? Do I need that memory later? And I need to know that, kind of, before I start. And I, I can't just discard it, because I, I only have one of them. And I'm not going to recur it. I'm not going to pull it back with Call from the Darkness, because it's kind of a waste. That's not what it's for. Um, and... Um, the deck has some plays that I found, just th through my actual, like kind of just really slamming a stick to the side of the deck and trying to figure out like how is this a good deck because I basically only lost my first five best of fives and it wasn't even close like I wasn't really playing the game um and there are just certain lines of play that are just better that don't make as much sense like if you have a pretty doomed first hand uh slamming a Cerberus mod not the not the werewolf mode, but just regular Cerberus Mon. Slamming a Cerberus Mon for six, especially against Crosshearts, isn't terrible. It it really isn't. Because while you're giving them plenty of memory to set up, um they don't necessarily take advantage of it in a way that is that just actually locks you out of the game completely. Because if by some, you know I think it was specifically a play in which I slammed that and then you ended up over responding you didn't get rid of cerberus mon no i so like as um you gave me Crossheart's like four memory to, yeah so crossheart my hand that hand was pretty bricky as well but yeah. like the thing with crosshearts is you do need to set up like you are like a lot of other decks you do need time and memory to set up but you're not interacting with the opponent's board borderline ever outside of some very small instances of using some options or your tamer to be able to DP minus the Digimon playing the Digimon. But you need all of those pieces to line up and Crosshearts doesn't always get that. So like in that example, hard play level uh, five, there's very little a turn one play Crosshearts can do to actually deal with it and get rid of it. Just as an example. Of, Efficiently like, at least. Certain, yeah, certain plays like, I would have to have the god hand of seeing Darulumon, Fireball, and the Tamer with the six memory that they gave me in order to actually be able to punish it. That's three separate or, cards that I need in order to deal with their one. Or double. You would need to see specifically or, two of the yellow Tamer and two Darulumon to play with the Tamer. Or just one Tamer and two Darulu, but still, like yeah. you don't have efficient ways of removing bodies. You are 100% dedicated to your setup plays to be able to make sure that you could close out games as effectively as you possibly can. And uh, plus, Crossheart security is pretty weak yeah. on average, so that 6k is actually pretty safe. 
You and, swing with that uh, 6k every time, and it dies one-tenth of the time. And I was uh, testing uh, Metal Guru into Crosshearts, and I was having some success with Metal Guru for that same style of reason. Oh, they just don't really kill me, especially out of their security. So, like, I was sitting on a 7k uh, level 4 just because I was stuck in one of my games at a store championship, and that was safe. Like, that was actually safe to move it out of racing, sit on that 7k, and have that 7k be really threatening and obnoxious. And then when I go into my level 5, I just rip their security apart. Like, I needed the extra card draw early on. I had the Gabumon uh, that boosts it by 1,000 during all turns underneath it. Like, it just was an easy play to make that I normally would not make against various other decks. And... Um, I guess, you know, in the same vein as the previous iterations of loop slash combo decks, Minervamon has many flexible uh, deck slots that can basically be catered to what you expect to see and how you want to tech against. The same reason why Commandramon came back and was relevant in BT9 uh, was because the deck was running with half, half an engine and the other half of the deck was whatever you wanted or whatever you needed or felt you needed in that given moment. And so Minerva has just the whole suite of purple to work with as far as um, various instances of removal, various instances of recursion, um, you know, its own suite of potential security bombs. And you can just run greedy ratios of them to give yourself more of a suite of choices as far as I'll run one of these and one of those, and you don't need to run just four of everything, because through your various looting effects, you will have control over, okay, well, I draw, you know, draw three, discard two, I'm seeing, well, this option card doesn't help me and may not help me at all, I will discard it and keep the other one, I only had one of each, like, I'm just going to keep the one that I need and discard the one that I don't need, and also, I may have just lost the game because I might need it, but, um... I also, there are ways to get it back with other option cards, or with the Tamer. <laughs> but, um, just, just to cap off Minerva specifically, because its most abusable position is, as Zenitsu kind of led with, is wide boards. First of all, just straight up turning off the loop, um, anyone that isn't aware, um, the Minervamon on deletion to play a level 5 from your trash for free only activates if your opponent has two or fewer Digimon in play. I did, genuinely didn't know that when I first put the deck together because I Lilithbond had no such condition, so that was kind of an eye-opener. I was like, that's that's a lot worse than I thought it was, but um, this meta doesn't have too many instances of wide decks, and honestly, once you've passed the two threshold of at least Digimon specifically, you're probably... Um, as I guess I've been alluding to, you're open to it. the deck's, you know, singular reason for maintaining relevancy of Deathex, basically just exclusively shoring up its weaknesses of Minerva's fine if you have, if your opponent doesn't have a lot of things, and Deathex solves the problem if they do have a lot of things. And the decks that uh, generally will have a lot of Digimon in play, uh, the two most notable is going to be Jespawn, and it's going to be Bloomlord. 
and uh, they are definitely very interesting decks in the meta just because of their flood style and the toolboxing that each of those decks do. Uh, Bloomlord kind of just hits like a truck, or at least it's supposed to try to hit like a truck, uh, and works kind of in an interesting way for Green to take into a direction of like what Shivamon was trying to do, but better, where it's rewarding you for your Digimon being suspended, and then it can take advantage of the opponent's Digimon being suspended. And then, um, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but looking into the future, we do see that Blue Lord is getting some support, so it's still a deck on people's minds, it's still a deck on people's radars, especially with how short of a format BT10 as a whole, as BT10 actually is. So once we get into that EX3 territory soon, um, then I think we're definitely going to be seeing more of an appearance with Bloomlord, and people are probably just going to be playing Grandis as their premier green deck in the meantime, while they're in that waiting room to play the deck that they want to play. Either that, or they're just going to play it anyway, and not care because the format as BT10 is, is that short. Yeah. I do think there was... Um, a small overabundance of hype for Bloomlord based on its results from EX3 in Japan. Um, Bloomlord did see some success in BT10 without the B EX3 packages that it receives of additional support, but the the difference is is that they just I don't think aren't as good compared to the hype they received as a result of their perceived skill. So, Bloomlord right now is, I think, just as good as any of the green decks kind of have been. They're not terrible. Like, like Grandis did fine. It wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. It was a decided, like... I, wa I didn't think I had a free win if I played into Grandis, but I also knew I didn't have a free loss either. It was a very winnable game, depending on what my opponent saw and what I saw. And I think Bloomlord just kind of falls into that category as well. I think Bloomlord is a little bit more consistent than Grandis, but it doesn't have as high of a ceiling. And it is, like uh, we've been saying with DefX, it is a go-wide deck, and DefX being like I think the Dex premier countertard... Way more prevalent uh, for us than it was for Japan, just because... We yeah, we already knew. It was going to be... Well, we just knew that it was basically the hardest, most consistent readily available answer to Crosshearts, and everyone's teching against Crosshearts, so they passively tech against Bloomlord, even though they don't play a whole abundance of Tamers. Yeah, and I think this is why, like, a lot of Jespawn builds, like, Jespawn is still a fantastic deck, but it still has uh, some inconsistencies that are really holding the deck back. It's Part of it is the fact that we just don't have enough good level 5s for that deck to actually use, um, and then part of it is the fact that we're running a whole bunch of sister mons. Granted, some of the sister mons um, add their own consistency by cycling or just drawing a card in general uh, or searching themselves. Um, but the fact that uh, a lot of the decks that are doing well with Jespawn are probably leaning into the GX combo, just because it's really hard for a lot of decks to really deal with GX once they get into it. Because it's like, oh, I'm just literally a like 20k ginormous beat stick that then played a couple of sister mons. This, if the sister mons die, I don't care. I don't need them anymore. I am fully focused on my one stack now, and I'm just going to swing for a truckload. And then 
hopefully have reboot before um, it dies with blocker, and then you just actually can't do anything. Mm. Yeah, I wish there were a more, like, based on the design or intended design of the card, it, it seemed as though it was trying to make a just Royal Knight tribal deck where you splashed in a couple copies of various Royal Knights to then work with the Sister Mons and, you know, gain all these various effects. But um, I think while Jessmon is dis definitely a lot stronger than it was, it, it was non-existent, um, I think it just does struggle to compete um, for a meta slot. Not that it's not competitive, but that it's too similarly aligned, I think, with someone... Because it is a red deck, and Black War Greymon is a red-black deck, I think it struggles in just the people who want to play this style of deck that truly want to play Jessmon over Black War Greymon, knowing that while Jessmon is very consistent compared to what it used to be with its suite of tools, it isn't Black War Greymon, it's worse than Black War Greymon, and it is decidedly worse than Black War Greymon as we move forward. And I think the most consistent measure of whether a deck is played today is, unfortunately, whether that deck is relevant in the future which is a very fair point because another example is um magnamon magnamon x antibody more specifically it had some mild success in japan um throughout the different formats but it didn't do anything like gangbusters so am i really willing to play um like am i dropping blue flares to play magnamon no most blue flare stack teched in magnamon I don't even think that's correct, but we get the support uh, to actually make uh, blue flares a lot better later. Um, but like even just a hardcore Magnamon deck, again, it's another example of a go-wide deck that just gets punished by Death X. So it's, uh, even though it does have uh, Jespon GX to work with to add even more power into the deck because you're already playing a level 4 Royal Knight and then a level 6 Royal Knight, and then you're adding another level 4 Royal Knight underneath it, and then Armor Purge and all that stuff. Like, it's still doing absolutely insane things, but it's just still not quite there in terms of the meta space to really have a solid enough foothold to establish itself uh, versus something like Blue Flare. Or even Garuramon. Yeah. Um, a, a weird uh, problem to have in in a meta such as this is because I know I've said before that people are kind of just most likely to play um, the best deck of their color that they favor, or at least the best deck of the style of deck. Um, if you were a Rookie Rush player and then you were a Commandermon player, I, I see why you wouldn't just switch to Cross 5 unless you're forward-looking, as I mentioned, and now you're just in the waiting for EX3 support, still playing Commandermon. Um, if you were someone who was playing Wargrey X last format, you're probably playing Jessmon right now, potentially Black Wargreymon if you're trying to adopt more of a control atmosphere to your red deck. Um, you know, If you were playing Metal X, Metal Garuru, you're probably playing 
blue flares now, and if you're, or you're playing, or you're still just playing Metal Guru because it's so good. Yeah, like it, it's less of a like a hard swap. Um, Grandis doesn't necessarily become Blue Lord, but Grandis is still pretty good just because Green didn't get as much of a decided upgrade to the point where everyone's just gonna switch off and everyone agrees that you know the new deck is the better green deck um and you just really kind of see that across the board so um so without anything to go over specifically outside of our own um small experience i think the easiest thing to do now is before we actually get some tournament data because i know we're going to have some uh for next week following this weekend but um something to think about now is we've talked about the winners of bt10 who are the the losers of bt10 who are the decks that kind of just received you know a turd in a box um i actually think out of like the big competitive landscape d reapers kind of uh it really took a huge hit like because there's more decks introduced that counter it or just naturally play against it very well, um, it just is not going to be doing as well as it once did. Like, the format didn't get any faster or any slower. So, tempo-wise, it's still a very fine deck. It's just, oh, now there's Black War Greymon and Jespawn that do very well against it, plus on top of a lot of decks already teching in Death X, to be able to beat Crosshearts easier. Well, that also just happens to do well against D-Reapers as well, because they are another go-wide deck, and we haven't really had a punishment for go-wide until Death X. Um, so it's just another card that kind of... Uh, it's another deck that gets uh, hit in the casualties of war, uh, that is Death X. And that's not necessarily like a bad thing, but... The fact that there's also just no usable new tools for the deck to adopt to make it any stronger also is not helping its cause. Yeah, it was it was something that um, I know we had talked about where in the back of my mind I was thinking, does this really get that much worse? Does D-Reaper, can I just play D-Reapers? I mean, coming from the original joke at least as far as the list I was using was actually taken from BT10. It was 100% a BT10 legal, up-to-date list. The, the list I was using that I adopted was taken from a... It won a BT10 event in Japan, a larger one, one of their Ultimate Cups or Evo Cups. And um, so, obviously, the deck has... But I think as, um, as you mentioned, our meta is preemptively teching against death X, or against cross arts and as a result death x is like i've seen death x at basically every list and i know i joked about it with you but it might genuinely not be wrong to just put one or two death x in actually every deck cross arts already runs two um just put two death x in blue flare put two death x in black war Greymon. put two death x in jessmon just everybody gets a death x maybe one for like the more extreme cases but because it basically is an option card as people have uh associated it with it's a level seven that hard plays so you don't need any color requirements you don't need to digivolve it there's no conditions for its use other than 
my opponent has a wide board. So. And I think, like, we also have some pretty interesting other tech cards that people could think about adopting. Um, like, people could start using Sistermon uh, Blanc from the Jessmon starter deck a little bit more also. Uh, even though it is a white Digimon that's mostly trying to interact with Royal Knights and Huckmon specifically, the fact that it's just a generic on-play draw two, discard one is still just really, really good. Like, we've seen lists... Um, in BT9, where they were trying to tech in Searchers for that same exact style of reason, where it's just like, oh, it's just a card that's filling up a slot that just says draw a card as a uh, hard play Digimon, except now that you have basically a better version of um, of Searcher, you actually could attack the player. You, If you're running any kind of Royal Knights at all, even on your top end, then you still get access to its abilities. Like, it's we, we are entering a phase where we do have some various other tech cards that we could think about adopting into a wide variety of different decks. And I think that's pretty cool at just being able to uh, be able to tech different decks and increase the overall consistency of those decks that normally wouldn't have it. Yeah. And so while I think our meta is going to be very diverse to start with, as we mentioned, there are not many decks fall completely out of tournament viability outside of maybe D-Reaper, though again, that's it still feels weird to say that because the, the deck I, I don't think it has literally yeah, I don't, was a BT-10 list. <laughs> I don't think it has that bad of a Crosshearts matchup. They're both trying to do very similar things, mm. um, and if they still see their Gatekeeper against Crosshearts, Crosshearts is pretty much dead in the water. Um, so it's not like it's like dead against Crosshearts. It's just it's doing worse against all of the other decks that aren't Crosshearts. Whereas before it was still just actually decently positive into some of those matchups if it wasn't Grandin mm -hmm. and Black War. Yeah, Grandis and Black War, which honestly might just maintain their same level of play, and everything else just kind of gets better around them. So, like the the best help for. D Reaper's argument for not being like the biggest loser of the format as far as like competitive decks go is that it um its biggest potential counter in the form of Metal Garurumon gets worse. Blue Metal Garuru is um well bl Blue Flare's pretty bad too though, so like Blue Flare kinda farms it. It can't touch Mother, but it just also just shuts everything else off. Yeah, like that's that's the dynamic that we're looking at, where it's just like, oh, it's really good into the number one deck, but not everyone is going to be playing the number one deck, and like it could still lose very easily to decks number two, three, four, and seven. Mm -hmm. Like, so yeah, we have that's, a very that's wide one point five, and honestly, I I I have no idea what to actually see as a as a spread coming out of the top sixteen from the first event. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be Assuming that there is a deep spread on it, and we don't just see a whole bunch of people playing the perceived, you know, top three. So, um... Because I do think BT10, more specifically, is going to be hard-skewed to Crosshearts. Um, yeah. Just like in Japan right now, um, Black War Greymon is looking to be the best deck there, so... The Japanese players are already starting to adjust accordingly 
and more counter decks are starting to emerge that are going to be beating it out. So those types of decks are going to be doing well as they're now teching and countering Black War Greymon. So that's just the the result of like how these types of environments and metas form. And then we definitely take note of that because, well, we have that data available to us and that's how we can make more informed decisions as far as where do we go with our metas. Yeah, so we'll just have to see whether Crosshearts truly is the meta-defining deck that it, it kind of claims to be. I I guess, not that I've seen as many takes on it, but I've seen plenty of people's takes because as it was originally discussed because of the fact that it continues to receive support and people feared that it would just get better and better in BT11, BT12, whatever, um, that Crosshearts would just become this true menace tier zero deck that, like, just the lengths that we have never seen. Um, I think Crosshearts is potentially the most fair best deck of the format, if that makes sense. Uh... I, I actually think it does. Um, there's a decent amount of decks that actually can start to try to interact with Tamers. We are seeing a little bit more Tamer act tamer interaction. Plus, like, Crosshearts has its own weird inconsistencies uh, based on what your actual spread is. I know, like, there's the hard-locked 40 cards that do just make up what Crosshearts is. Uh, and then you still have, like, 10 uh, deck spaces of flex spots. And some of those flex techs may or may not help slash harm the deck's overall consistency. So a good one is like a good example of this is uh, Kiriha versus TK or not TK uh, BT one tie. So it's just like, do you want the extra red source that could increase your overall damage output, but now you're losing access to being able to use your crossing like your uh, Digicross ability even more consistently. So it's it's those types of tech that actually will uh, shape how well a Crosshearts deck is going to do on top of its matchups. Because there's still just a lot of decent decks uh, in the format as well. So, like, we didn't even touch on Mastimon. Mastimon's still going to be pretty decent. Mm -hmm. um, just because the shift makes it so it's easier for Mastimon to actually do well into Crosshearts because they have um, Lusamon that they could use to pop the Tamers. Um, then we still have Dark Knightmon, which could be decent um, spawning a whole bunch of different blockers, having a really annoying borderline unkillable Digimon uh, or Digibons that are going to be persistently on the field um, and can still delete tamers. Uh, then we have um, security control, which is security control. It's just annoying as all heck. And just basically trying to ride out uh, cross arts and hope they run out of steam uh, while they're slowly passively recovering because they're not actually going to be killing a lot of Digimon, but the fact that they do have Chaos Degradation does matter because you could uh, really ruin um, Cross 4 and Cross 5 that way just by tucking them in and then all of those sources go to the trash when they normally would have gone underneath the Tamer instead. So there's still just a lot of different ways to be able to counter um, Cross Hearts, and that's just scratching the surface of it. Yeah, and we're really in the long haul for this one because while we did it does feel like we're about to get a new set basically next week ex3 doesn't change too too much and it's just you know bt10 plus so you know that's for the, usually for the remainder the of, the of the year, ex sets we're still working with a base that is still bt10 
and there will be time assuming people care to experiment with the bt10 slash ex3 competitive landscape uh potentially extending all the way through to uh the end of the competitive season entirely uh depending upon what bandai wants to do regarding the legality of bt11 the day before nationals so it's not the day of it's, it's the like week the week before, before. You're right, but there, so there, there is some precedent that the some events were held the day following and or the day of release of a new set, and that set was legal on that day. So, um, I think the really weird thing about that, uh, sorry to shift to Nationals talk, is the fact that there is the travel factor. So, like, you really have to get your cards borderline pre-release slash day one and you're going to have to factor in the fact that you're going to have to travel. So I have no idea. There is precedent where it's probably going to be BT11, but they could say it's just too much for of, of us to ask for the player to make sure that they have their cards uh, because some people order online and whatnot and try to brush delivery, mm. um, and they just might miss it, and that could and, impact... like. Yeah they're traveling and if their ability to actually play bt11 depends on how much B uh, J uh bandai wants to showcase bt11 itself and whether they would rather us have a somewhat scuffed bt11 tournament because some players in attendance weren't aware that it was going to be bt11 and they have bt10 decks or ex3 decks and some people have some bt11 stuff but not enough to where they're running like exactly the list they feel optimized but then there's the, I guess, you know, somewhat ever-present that at a true competitive level, cost is no option. Cost is not a factor. We're exclusively working within the confines of the game and winning at all odds. So people who want to have access to exactly every copy of their BT11 cards that they want for Nationals, assuming that it is legal, will. Because they are the most competitive players, they will get their cards at pre-release, they will trade for them, they'll pay pre-release prices to get them ahead of time, and, you know, it's it's not a new thing for a card game to be, you know, in some ways pay to win, because Death X is a better card than basically anything else that it does, and it is an expensive card. They could make it cheap, they don't. It's the world we live in. I mean, who knows, I might get... Uh... It might be appearing in the reprint set, but we or, don't know what that's going to entail. Yeah. So, um, I think that's all we have for the BT10 competitive landscape. Uh, we'll have more specific discussion for next week once we have some data to work with and Zenitsu and I have some more games under our belts of actually getting to play BT10 a little bit more. Um, so, we'll definitely be able to delve into that as far as the topic for next week. But I think the format is going to be kind of like BT10, or not BT10, BT9, where it's better than what we anticipated, uh, but it looks really bad on the onset. Um, so far, I'm kind of enjoying it just because there's a lot of different decks to play, uh, more so than BT9, and there's actual different play styles. Um, but we'll see how the events actually shape up and the impact that uh, BT10 is going to have as a whole. And with that, I'll go ahead and close it out. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.